Let's pray. Dear God, may your preached word today cause someone to know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so this is part two of the sermon that I started last week, and we left off with Haman uh, being really an evil man. I gave you a lot of historical background last week, so if you uh, missed the service or whatever, then get the tape and catch up. <laughs> because if I repeat all that, then we're going into part three. But Haman is an evil man, and he's kind of the antagonist, and, and he's promoted to be the prime minister. And Haman was a descendant of Agar the king of, um, of the Amalekites. Again, I'm gonna give you a little bit of history. And history reports that King Saul did not allow the command of God. It was a Jewish prophet named Samuel who was really responsible for the death of Agar's family. And so, um, so after Haman, uh, after Haman uh, came to his position, the power went the power went uh, to his head. The power went to his head. The proverbial saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely really conveys the person and the power that increased in the head of Haman as he was elevated to this position. After the promotion, everyone began to kneel and pay homage to Haman. Now, He's kind of the second under the king, and it, it's swelling up his head. But he noticed that Mordecai, Mordecai the Jew, Esther's adopted father, did not bow. Mordecai, a Jew, lives the, uh, the command of the Almighty recorded in Exodus 20 regarding turning, uh, turning to anyone that the Lord that when these people are in these positions, they are to bow and to be reverenced and to be honored. And the text doesn't suggest that Mordecai made a big deal about this promotion of Haman. And instead, he quietly stood when everyone else bowed. It's kind of like the football player taking the knee when the American flag and the Pledge of Allegiance was said. You're supposed to, on the obligation, because we live in these United States, show respect to the flag. And Mordecai did not show respect to the man. I almost said, um, and, and so it's, it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, he's, he's trapped. He's trapped in a place. And, and you got to love Mordecai for not giving in to the pressure of his day. You got to love Mordecai for standing up to what he believed in because he didn't do it because the majority did it. He did what his heart said he should do. And I will say here only on a short time, but there are some positions and certain people should never have. There's some positions certain people should never have. No one in Persia seemed to have cared about the fact that the Jewish people were celebrating different customs until Haman came along, rubbing his hands and snickering. <laughs> I got my chance now. Long before the despot of Adolf Hitler started World War II by invading countries and killing innocent people, an equally evil man who Haman attempted to eradicate an entire race of people the genocide of the Jewish people. 
with deception and payback on his mind. And because he was a prime minister of law and order, where have we heard that before in American government, Haman approached a weak, gullible, egotistical king with an innocent proposal. He would use his lifelong hatred for the Jewish people to execute a systematic plan to annihilate an entire race of people, which he characterized as rebellious rabble-rousers. He characterized them as thugs. <laughs> Again, I say, where have we heard this before? Maybe Florida, I don't know. Haman wants to establish the entire, to, to eradicate the entire Jewish population just because George Floyd, I mean Mordecai, refused to bow down to him. Haman is a genocidal madman who's also greedy. He not only wants to eradicate a race of Jewish people, but he's going to cause the entire race to plunder. King Asuserus blindly accepts Haman's suggestion to murder Jewish people without knowing or even investigating Haman's true motives. The king signs a proclamation allowing the Persian people to rise to kill their Jewish neighbors and to take their possession. That's in Esther chapter 3, verse 13. And the Jews would not be allowed to defend themselves. Can you imagine that? Haman was sure he would get his revenge against Mordecai. And the law was written and sealed with the king's ring. I can imagine Haman doing the happy dance. <laughs> but he forgot that the God who sits high is a God who also looks low. Haman was about to get well acquainted with the phrase, but God. But God, when Mordecai learned of King's proclamation, he was grief stricken and sent word immediately to the queen, Esther, pleading for her to help, pleading for her to intercede with the king on behalf of the Jewish people by using her influence long before social media made famous the word influencer and accepting saying by John Maxwell in his book, Developing Leaders Within You, says that all of us have influence. Believe it or not, even the most introverted person, according to John Maxwell, will influence 11,000 people in your lifetime. That's an introvert. Imagine what you extroverts will do. But you and I know that influence can be for good and you influence can be for evil. Mother Teresa and Jim Jones exercise power, but in different ways. Even though their value system and management abilities were different, each had followers, Mother Teresa and Jim Jones. They were both influencers. Not only does Maxwell define influence as leadership, but he goes on to say that even the most, as I said just a moment ago, introverted person will influence 11,000 people over your lifetime. Think about the people that you're influencing. Think about the people that I'm influencing. 
Every one of us affects someone, and someone is influencing everyone else, and we are influencing someone. So what kind of influencer are you? Who are you influenced by, and who are you influencing? Mordecai, in essence, says to Esther, you are a leader now. You have just been pushed to the forefront. Moses, Joshua, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all dead. You are our leader now. Use your influence to bring about something different. I wonder if we are not being told the same thing today in the church, in the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Use your influence to bring about change. And this is where I got my title for my sermon today, is that this is really a defining moment for Esther. It's, it's one of those draw the line in the sand moments for Esther. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you, you are no longer able to stand on the sideline? You have to make a decision. Either way, because a non-decision is a decision. This is a defining moment for Esther. Mordecai and the queen discussed the personal sacrifice required for the case. And in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, Mordecai urges the queen to seize this defining moment when he says to her, don't think that because you're in the king's house that you're going to be saved. Don't think that nothing's going to happen to you for relief and deliverance for the Jewish people will rise from another place if you choose not to act. And sometimes in our arrogance, we think, well, I am the only one living holy. <laughs> I am the only one serving God. And, and, you know, preachers tend to do it. If I don't preach the gospel, the people won't hear. That's, oh, I almost said something. <laughs> and Mordecai says don't think that if you are quiet, deliverance won't come. God will just find another vehicle. I've had people tell me in churches, not here. You know, well, you know, I sing in the worship team. And? and? <laughs> I mean, if you go, they'll find somebody else to sing. Well, I'm the pastor. And? They'll call another pastor. This is the defining moment for Esther, a silence in a golden age, and sometimes we talk too much, but sometimes we don't talk enough. My mom used to sing this song, you talk so much, you just bother my brain. I think she was talking about me. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28 tells us that even a fool is considered wise when they're silent. George Eliot once said, blessed is the person who has nothing to say and abstains from giving evidence of that fact. <laughs> yes, there are times when we all need to be silent, but there are times when remaining silent does not reflect courage, but really symbolize cowardness. Have you ever kept silent when you should have spoken up? <sighs> and the issue 
and the subject of silence, Dr. Martin Luther King says, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that really matter. In the end, he said, we will remember not our enemy's words, but our friend's silence. There comes a time when we must take a position that is neither safe nor politically popular, but we must, because of our conscience, say something. The ultimate measure of a person, he says, is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where we stand at times when there is challenge and there is controversy. Mordecai told Esther, you can stay silent if you want to, but you're dead if you do, <laughs> and you're dead if you don't. Then Mordecai drives the point home in the phrase that he echoes through the centuries. Who knows if God has not placed you in this place, come on y'all, for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I, the longer I live, the, the less I believe in coincidence or accidents. Why am I here in this place at this time? Why are you here in this place at this time? For such a time. In Greek, both chronos and keros are words that's translated as time, but they mean two different things. Chronos refers to minutes and seconds. It refers to a time that is a measurable resource. Keros speaks of time as uh, the right period, the appointed season, the opportune moment in your life and in my life. Mordecai says, who knows if God have not placed you in this place for such a time as this? What about that person you passed today? What about that person you encountered? It's not an accident. Who knows if God has not placed that person in your life for such a time as this, Queen Esther would take her life into her own hands by going uninvited before the king. And the story climaxes, Esther is in an act of courage. She makes a bold decision, an even bolder statement after she calls the Jewish people to go and fast and to pray for her. Esther declares in verse 17, I will go before the king. I'm going to seize the moment. How many moments have I missed? How many opportunities have I missed to make an impact in someone's life? Esther said, I'm going to seize the moment. And she said, if I perish, I perish. Is that fatalistic? Is that a defeatist declaration? Is that an assured affirmation? What is it? Is that belief in divine providence? 
Someone has said that the grace of God will never take us where the power of God cannot keep us. And through a really skillful, I mean, I, 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 I just love this story because it, it's so clever. It, it's, it's a Hollywood script. Because through a skillful, crafted, and creative plan divided and executed by Queen Esther, she appears uninvited before the king. And she exposes Haman's plot to kill the Jews. And in a shocking twist of expectation, the very night Haman had built gallows on which to hang Mordecai, Haman is sentenced to death. And turned out the same gallows he built for Mordecai are the ones that he's killed on. Proverbs 26 and 27 says, if you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. <laughs> Psalm 715 says, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into it in pity. My mama used to say, when you dig a ditch, you better dig too, because the trap you set for me might just be used for you. It was no coincidence that Esther was in the position that she was in at the precise moment. It was then and there that God needed her to be. Where does God need me to be today? Can I ask that for you? Where does God need me to be today? God needed her to be there to take a stand. And Esther faced a defining moment in her life with qualities that psychologist Angela Duckworth describes as grit, the commitment to finish what she started. Esther said, I'm going before the king. Defining moments can happen at any stage and at any age in our life. And life comprises many moments, some good, some bad, and some really that we even think to talk about. But many of life's moments slip into this void in history and have little or no impact on how we live the rest of those moments. But some moments in our life, and you might be facing one of those moments right now, define and change how we experience every other moment. These defining moments can reshape the reality of our existence, change the fabric of our trajectory of our lives, and even redefine who we are and who we say we are. Defining moments. Some call them fate. Some call them chance. Some call them happy random accidents or simply coincidence that changed us. Sometimes we think of them as events that happen just by luck or lack of luck or all the stars aligned at just the right time and everything kind of clicked. Call them whatever you want. Mystical realities with planets coming together, call them whatever you want. Things happening randomly or possibly moments inspired by God. 
we all have moments that help to shape and then reshape us. We all have moments that help to reform and restructure and restyle us into the people who look more like humans. Our defining moment, your defining moment, may not be as grand as Queen Esther's, but they're no less an opportunity to make a difference in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. I don't know and I don't need to know when your life-defining moment will happen or has happened. It could be happening right now. That moment when Esther, with the character of strength and perseverance and hope, she took a stand. She decided she's not going to give in. She decided she's not going to give up. And she's going to give it a try. And today I want to suggest that our nation faces what I believe to be a defining moment along the issue of racism and racial justice and equality and injustice across the board. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? In this moment, in your life and in my life, what are we going to do? I didn't run out of things to say here. I, I want you to think about that question. Esther's story is not only an excellent example of bravery and beauty, but may challenge us to consider the times and the places where we need to speak. Those times when we need to speak up without fear of consequences, without fear of the cost. I might lose my job. I might fill in the blank. I think it was Edmund Burke, and with this I'm going to close. I think I've used up a little more time. The only thing necessary, Edmund Burke, I believe, is the one who's credited to have said this. The only thing necessary for, for the triumph of evil is for, anyone want to finish that? Good people to what? Do nothing. The truth is that we rarely know whether a particular event will be a defining moment. There is no guarantee that what we choose to do or fail to do will be a defining moment. We only know with certainty that comes from trusting in God that what we are called to do in a particular time or place is the right time, is the right place, regardless of the cost. And defining moments impact our identity. We discover or rediscover who we are. We learn what it is and what it is not essential 
to us in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the opportunities in our life, even if it's only one thought among a cloud of many thoughts. Courage in those defining moments. How will you and I respond? How will you and I respond? Once we have had a defining moment, we're never, ever, ever the same. And I pray that we have this week and the weeks ahead eyes to see and ears to hear when the Almighty might bring us to a defining moment. This, this right here is where I draw the line. This is as far as I'm going to allow anyone to push me. This is as far as I am going. This is as far as I'm going to allow you to twist the scriptures to promote hate and violence. This is, this, this is, this is, this is where I draw the line. And without calling names, I say, I've lost a lot of friends, colleagues, the last three years. Because I, I said, no, the, the Bible doesn't say that. Because they come to me, the Bible says, I said, no, 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 the Bible doesn't say that. Let's pray. Wherever we are on our journey, oh God, I, I wouldn't even begin to claim that I have the courage that Esther has or had. But at least help me to see the opportunity. And if I don't have the courage, bring people around me that will help me get some courage. In those defining moments that we are facing as a nation and as a race of people and as a church community. Amen.